What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. Today is a special one for me because my favorite jazz guitar player of the current generation, Julian Lodge, is with us. I've been a huge fan of Julian since I was in college, even. I think we're similar age, but he was already like doing the thing. Like, as actually, I did see Jason Shadrick, the other producer of this podcast, Jason from Premier Guitar. He sent me this video of him, of Julian Lodge playing with Santana at like eight years old or something. It's pretty incredible. Julian's been doing the thing for a long time and he's one of the best at it. My favorite guitar, I'm I'm not joking when I say my favorite jazz guitar player of the current generation. He's incredible. I've seen him play live maybe four or five times this year and I got hip to him. Actually, I think maybe the first time I heard him was on Taylor Eichstee's album. They did a version of Pink Moon. And then just kind of following along just a bunch of like different exercises and guitaristic things that he was doing as, as educational things. And then um, just all of his albums, they're insane. They're incredible. So stoked to have Julian on. He's become a good friend over the last few months. We've started to hang out and talk and we run into each other at festivals and things. He's amazing. Also, speaking of playing festivals, playing live, being out on tour, I'm about to go on tour, and guess what? Fender and I are giving away a Corey Wong signature Stratocaster to somebody who has purchased tickets to my tour. It's a U.S. tour coming up in November and then also February, March. I've got a bunch of dates. West Coast in November and Southern region, whatever. And then Midwest, East Coast, February, March. Look on the calendar. If you haven't bought tickets yet, go buy them and then sign up for the the giveaway. You can look on my, I guess the best way is just go to like my Instagram account and there's the link in bio. Link in bio, yes. Such a weird phrase that like came out of nowhere. Literally only came from Instagram. Because most other places you can link right there. I don't know, whatever. Here we are, giving away a free $2,200 guitar to somebody who's bought tickets to my tour. Anyways, I'm stoked about my tour. I want you to come. I want as many people to come as possible. A lot of the shows are actually already really close to selling out. So act fast. Get yourself a free guitar. Thanks for hanging. I'm stoked. We got Julian Lodge. Let's hit it. Hey, you guys know about DistroKid yet? If you are an artist, musician, somebody who's trying to get your music on Spotify, Apple Music, all of those things, DistroKid is a digital distributor that can get your music on all of those platforms. It's the easiest, fastest way to do so, with accounts even just starting at $19.99 a year per artist. So for me, I have several albums out. I just pay one amount for the year. For all the Corey Wong albums, I just pay one amount, and DistroKid takes... 0% royalty. 100% of the royalties come straight to me. Or you use their Teams feature where you can dedicate a certain percentage to one member of your band, a certain percentage to the other, or one of your collaborators. I do this sort of thing. It works amazing. DistroKid is who I use for my albums and it has worked great for me. The stuff gets up there fast. They have a smart ISRC thing. I don't have to worry about coming up with my own codes, registering a lot of the stuff. They just have that. And they also have these really cool design tools. If you are not very design savvy, they'll help you come up with 
assets for social media and other things to help promote your album. And if you want to use them, you can use my VIP code. Just go distrokid.com slash VIP slash Corey Wong and you get 30% off. How about that? Check them out, DistroKid. All right, let's hit this episode. What's happening, bro? You're home? Are you home? Yes, I am in my home office right now. This is my absolute mess of a... I have, <laughs> it's gorgeous. What are you talking about? I have my pedal board case and my... all oh my, just... You know, like, I get home and I just, like, take everything out, redo yeah. it, then it's just a total mess. And then I act like, oh, yeah, like, it's just messy now, but it'll be clean soon. <laughs> Excuse the mess. I just got home. It's like, no, no, this is just yeah. how it always is now. <laughs> yeah, that's killer. I really get it, man. I've been living in a state of that for a while. It's 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 slowly coming together, but I just, you know, guitars take up room. We both know that. Gear takes room. Gear takes up room, but... Yes. You're not in the pedal game. And this, uh, when, <laughs> I, you surprised me because the last time I saw you, we were in Molden, Norway. You came and yeah. sat in for some context for the people listening. You, uh, yeah. you came up and sat in with my band, which was absolutely incredible. Such a highlight of, of the, Thanks, the summer. Dude. And you're just like, yeah, I, I got my guitar. I don't have an amp. I don't even have a quarter inch cable. Do you have a cable? <laughs> I was like, I got you, bro. <laughs> you hooked me up. You hooked me up. <laughs> I had to pull in some favors, but man, we got that quarter inch cable. No, and then I realized how freeing also is it? It's like yeah. sitting down and playing the piano. You just sit down and you've chosen this path to just yeah. play the guitar right in. Tell, tell me a little bit about that and how you came to that conclusion. <laughs> I think I don't think I have an option, you know. I of course being a guitar lover and you know, admirer for my whole life. I've always had a curiosity about pedals, how people use them. You know, I take note of people like yourself and other friends of ours who do it so uh intentionally. Yeah. You know, so there's been occasions where I go, okay, this is it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm getting a loop pedal or I'm going to get an overdrive. And pretty much every time without fail, there's kind of an immediate disconnect for me mm. where I, I I get baffled. I don't understand why <laughs> why it's doing its its uh its function. It almost seems like it um what for me it always feels like it takes away the connection between the touch on the guitar and the sound. Mm. And my logical brain goes, well, yeah, Julian, that's the point. It changes <laughs> it, you know? <laughs> but but for whatever, experientially, I find it, I'm so disoriented that I go, uh, I, I'm going to go back to the other thing. And for me, the other thing, like you're talking about, is just, it's just kind of a, I guess it's somewhat of an um, obsession with what I think of as choreography on the guitar. Like, mm. I think of all guitar playing as chore choreography. Like, you move a certain way. You get a certain sound. You want um, you want a different tone. You have to move differently, and the movement isn't relegated to the fingertips. It's 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 the whole system. It's and it has a lot to do not only with the movement towards notes, but also how you get off of things. Like how um, if I want something to sound like it has a little more space around it, I need to move slower when I come off of the note. And we're talking milliseconds. Yeah. you know, it's really not a lot, but. In whatever research I've done, that it seems like those those considerations affect it greatly. 
And maybe because there's such an obsession there, the thought of having anything else in the chain just I I, I can't compute, man. Yeah. And I and I really it cracks me up, man. I I I just I can't hang. <laughs> I can't hang with it. Dude, I'm not gonna lie, I respect it a lot. Because then also really? <laughs> on our flight to Norway, yeah, yeah. on the yeah, flight is right. you, Bill Frizzell, and I. And I'm thinking like Oh man, I yeah. got to get off this plane. I can't be on this. Plane. Like, first off, <laughs> no, it's just too much. Like, I, I, I get, I get nervous about planes and musicians, and it's kind of a smaller plane yeah. going from Oslo to Molde. I'm like, I don't know, man. We got too much. Like, there's, like, there's too high too of a ratio of, of guitar players on this plane. <laughs> like this, I can see the headline now. I like, no, it. I can't. I, I gotta get. We gotta. We gotta separate. <laughs> <laughs> and uh that's really funny that's really funny but i i see you and bill walking around with these yeah blueprint holders <laughs> basically exactly what it yeah, is it's like walking yeah. around like a couple of architects and i'm like dude what's, yep. what am i missing out on here what's going on you're like you're both like yeah put the neck of the guitar in here i'm like where's the rest of it <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool. You caught both of us at a probably unique time because, yeah, we, you know, about, I don't know, earlier this, I guess it was only a month ago from, you know, this point in time. But yeah, we, Bill and I are always talking about how we travel with guitars. And he was like, what's your deal? And I said, okay, I always travel with a Hoffy case. I check the guitar. doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. It's, I just don't want to think about it, whatever. If it gets there, great. If it doesn't, like, we're going to be fine. Yeah. And so he went out and bought one of those cases, and they're great flight cases. And then about a week after he got his, I was like, you're going to kill me. But the really cool thing to do is just unscrew your neck and then throw <laughs> both of them in, in the backpack. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I just spent all this money on this case, but sure, let's try it, you know? And uh, you caught us on the uh, basically the maiden voyage, and it it worked like it, Corey. It was so easy. It was so easy. Basically, the body and sits in the bag. The neck goes in this blueprint tube, exactly as you described it. And you get to your gig, and you screw it on, put the strings on, and you're done. Um, you know, Danny Gatton used to do it. Roy Buchanan used to do it. Um, Bill Kirchin, I think, still does it. Of course, you know, once you discover something that's so novel, you realize everyone has been doing yeah. it forever. <laughs> um, but, but you know, there is, there's also kind of a psychological component of just the whole thing not being precious. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> and I don't begrudge people having their own gear at all. I mean, frankly, I'm the most fetishy about, um, yeah, a person's uh, chosen instrument. Mm. I think it informs your decisions. If it's short scale, long scale, flat wounds, round wounds, like... The, I think those things really, really matter, and I think yeah. it's okay for them to matter. Yeah. Um, and to when I, not, not that, not, not that anyone's asking if I think it's okay. I just mean even when I talk to fellow guitar players or students, it's like so often, especially in jazz, there can be a, a well, I, there can be a notion that you shouldn't have to care about anything but the music. Mm. And though I understand the under, underpinnings of that argument, I also think it's okay to fall in love with the sensuality of an instrument. Mm. Like, it's okay to think that a 50s telly is, just makes you giddy. Like, yeah. the hell yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't have to, that's fine. So, um, so, but but given that, it, when you have guitar that comes apart like that, it, it does make, it definitely humbled me in a way of like, okay, it's not the guitar. It's like, show up, <laughs> screw it on, plug in, do your best, listen, be, you know, be a good player and, 
and uh, and then do it all over the next day. So I found it humbling. I think Bill found it kind of revelatory too, in a way. I'm, I'm sure for other reasons, but we both loved it. I <laughs> I was laughing. Sorry, I felt left out. I'm like, why am I the only guitar player without a blueprint? Blueprint tube. <laughs> I mean, you were I'll like, where's you, your guitar? I'm like. Honestly, I just checked it in the mono case. You're like, that's cool. Because <laughs> I think both of us got to the place from traveling so much. It's like, you just don't want to have to worry about it. And I got over that psychological yeah. hump where I'm just like, you know what? Did you? The guitar is yeah. replaceable. Mine, it's it's my signature strat. If I need another one, that's, I can get yeah. another one from Fender. I, yeah. Every one that I've played, I love and that's amazing it's just like i i i'm over the hump of yeah worrying so much about it and i honestly i still haven't had a problem yet so how about that well that's amazing gosh knock on wood yeah keep you know i i flew with a mono case for a long time and i love those cases and i had the funniest thing i think it was british airways where they refused to check it because it was a soft case and so they sent me to a shipping store in the airport way in the depths of heathrow in it was so funny that like you can buy a box from this guy downstairs and then we'll check it. It was such a scam. Really? <laughs> and, yeah. And they were, you know what it was? They were freaked out about the backpack straps. They're like, it's going to get caught on a something or other. We won't take, you know, I got refused and I thought, well, if it weren't for that, I would do a mono every day. You're so smart. I mean, Cause then you get to the gig, right? And you're like, yeah, you're cooking. It's all there. Um, your guitar feels great. I was actually thinking about it yesterday because I played it at the sound check, yeah. you know, in, in Norway. I wish I had more time because I mean, you, uh, there's probably so much to discover. But like, you, yeah, if 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 to have a guitar that's that dialed, all your specs, and you know you can get another one, and I think Fender makes continues to make great stuff. Like, hell yeah, yeah. Don't be worried about <laughs> it. <laughs> it's, uh, I was impressed by that dude. It's a nice privilege to have. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, I want to get into your playing a little bit because every time I've seen you play, I've seen you play several times over several years. Most recently, I saw you at the Ottawa Jazz Fest, the Molded Jazz Fest. I saw you somewhere else in Europe. We've kind mm -hmm. of played a lot of these same festivals. And the thing that yeah. always strikes me about your playing is the fluidity of your lines and just the effortlessness wow. and the way that you weave through lines. You make hard chord changes sound like they're just some modal like it's there's it, it weaves so effortlessly both on the harmonic aspect and from a technical standpoint so i want to start by just talking about the technical side of it yeah the, where did you develop your fluidity and you've talked about you just talked about choreography how do you how do you approach yeah. dancing across the strings like that well first of all thank you it's sweet of you to to say that, um, because I work, I, I work on it, you know, truth be told, I, I worked on it probably the most, uh, I don't know how many years ago it was at this point, but I, I injured my left hand playing guitar. I, I got, I had like a, a freak situation on stage. My, my left hand spasmed shut. I couldn't open it. I was like terrified. Wow. You know? And it was, uh, ironically during a period of time where, my obsession was right hand picking, hmm. you know, and I have a background of being very, very curious about anatomy, you know, of the body. And, and it's just, it's just something I've always kind of been interested in. And that was a turning point where I, I you know, the punchline is that it basically was extreme tension through the arm, through the neck, through the 
shoulder, you know, the, the whole thing was just, it was a ticking time bomb, you know, basically mm. since I was a little boy of like, when is this tightness gonna catch up with me? And it did, you know, and I would have probably said at that point that I felt pretty fluid, Sure, but I wasn't. <laughs> and I was also, I, I think what I was doing, which is pretty calm. And I, I, I've come to learn is, you know, I would be, I would engage when I was playing something faster or like you were saying playing through changes i, I you know there, there's a certain amount of tension that's really necessary to like to play the guitar but then when i wasn't playing the guitar that tension stayed intact it wasn't mm. like i'd play a phrase and then let go of it and reset i basically was like always gripping and part of my rehabilitation uh involves studying with lots of people one is a guitarist named gerald harsher incredible um, classical guitarist and someone who deals with focal dystonia which is a type of yeah. hand injury that i was pretty much on the cusp of developing um and uh but fortunately didn't fully develop it uh juanito pasquale one of the great flamenco guitar players who i whose fluidity and you know whole thing i just admired for years and i studied with these guys like religiously like weekly and i'd be i knew i was recovering i knew my old ways of just grip it and go wasn't gonna i like I couldn't play, dude. It was like a year where I just couldn't, like, if I could play, I couldn't play for long. Wow. And the psychological thing that so many of us deal with with injuries is that there's a certain amount of, um, not to speak for others, but in my experience, there, it's natural to feel kind of embarrassed. Sure. Like, how did I, how did I blow it? Like, yeah. I, I, I work on this all the time and I, I, I know better, you know, how did I, and, and it was hard. Anyway, the point is, I started to look at fluidity on the guitar to answer your question, not as a um, a badge of honor of like, a, I should be able to do it, but more saying, well, when I notice that it feels clunky, when I notice that I'm kind of jerking my hand around the instrument or shoving it around the guitar, I now understand that that's a symptom of something, some extra work that's going on. And if unmonitored, if it goes unconsidered, I'll probably have to stop again, mm. you know? So I, I almost started looking at it like uh, like at a little alarm clocks. How could this be more fluid so that I have sustainability? You know, that, so that, I'll just say that's the premise of the thing. It's not, I, I there's so, there, frankly, I think some of, the, there's, some of my favorite guitar players are not terribly fluid in that way or not. There can be kind of a jerky thing that's beautiful and also very authentic to those players. I personally just need, I know that my system is such that when things look more fluttery, I usually have a happier arm sure. and I, my breathing's usually a little healthier. And I, that's, that's the, that's the whole cornerstone of that, you know? Yeah. Now, I, as far as how it's, to, you know, I don't know how nerdy you want to get with it. I'll go as far as you want. <laughs> but uh, I want to be considerate of all, anyone listening who doesn't care about this stuff too. But, um, you know, what, what, what the, the simplest, most like, like here's in a nutshell what I think about fluidity is a lot of times when I grew up, I, when I would talk to teachers, I thought about how you count the hand as like the index finger is your first finger, mm -hmm. middle is second, third, and pinky is the fourth. And so I kind of, I would call that like, um, yeah, a, a hand that's kind of anchored at the first finger and the thumb. Yeah. That fulcrum. In my rehabilitation, I flipped it completely. So the pinky is how I is my first finger. Mm. Third, the second finger is the ring finger. Middle is third and index is fourth. And the reason I do that is because the function of the thumb 
from an anatomical point of view is that the, the thumb actually crosses the center line of the hand. Um, if you're listening to this, you can kind of just play with that, like put your thumb to your pinky and, you, and your, your, your thumb does that pretty naturally. It's almost like a, it almost collapses your palm, almost like a tortilla or something. Yeah. <laughs> There's kind of something like squishy about yeah. it. And for various reasons, that orientation on the guitar of like, okay, my starting position is pinky throwing out all notions that there's this, there's like kind of a weak pinky uh, rhetoric that I don't particularly buy into. And we don't have to go into all the reasons why, but um, just by negating that and, and having this kind of smushy hand on the guitar allows my index finger and the other fingers to kind of pop open. Mm. You know, it's almost like they're uh, because I'm not anchoring between the thumb and the index. There's not really, there's just not as much tension. Yeah. Um, so if I play a line or you practice scales, you can practice scales this way. I always am kind of checking to see if my index, middle, and third can almost like like um, like an ejector seat in a fighter plane. Like, can they pop off at any moment or are they being used as an anchor yeah. to stabilize my arm? A lot of times the hand is tight because it's stabilizing the arm. I, I personally have a, I like when my arm moves pretty freely because I'm not worried uh, that it's going to fall off, mm-hmm. and I think part of <laughs> part of my technique for my whole life, especially when I was a little boy, was that the guitar was bigger than me. It was heavier than me. I was actually worried the guitar was going to fall, and I was holding it like a delicate plate or something. Yeah. When you don't feel like you have to hold it, and you're not worried about it falling, and you're not worried about like flailing off the rails, this fluidity appears. That's, I guess, is my point. Yeah. Um, that's the natural state. I love that. That's the natural state. All I can say is I have so much empathy for, for any guitar player who's looking to have, to change the temperament of their movement. Yeah. It's weird because you watch people who have very different body types, you know? Yeah. Um, like I watch you do things on the guitar that are so, um, singular to you and, and, and authentic and compelling and virtuosic. And, And we have very different movement pattern totally different you know and it's so so it's part of if i'm watching you and i want to learn from you i i gotta go there's a certain element of like how what is what do my hands look like doing something similar Mm. and what what do i have to just accept as like differences and what can i modify yeah um that's the punchline to the whole thing is like yeah, take that in, taking that into account has helped me a lot sure with fluidity i bet that helps you as a teacher though as well we were talking about, yeah. you know, like we each have our things that we do and then we ha- each have these kind of residual skill sets or kind of al- sure. al- alternative skill sets or things that we explore. And you talked about yeah. your love for teaching and your love for, yeah. you know, sharing knowledge and that sort of thing. I can even just tell by the way that you talk and the fact that you're mm. you're aware of your empathy towards other people and the way that they're approaching things. That is, yeah. that would be a character quality or character trait that would make a great teacher besides well, yeah, really right. knowing your stuff on, on, on the instrument. <laughs> right, right, right. No, no, but I think really, I think that's everything. I mean, I think a teacher, I, I presume you've had so many great either teachers or mentors or people you've looked to uh, your whole life as a guitar player. And I, and, and I would project that, you know, what's going on when we look to these teachers is we project ourselves onto them. Like we, I've had so many teachers where like, I've got this story about what they're doing to be so great. And I'm convinced that I know exactly what they're up to. And then you study with them and whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. It's almost like 
I learned so much just by making up the story. Mm. And I've seen so many cats who I've had the fortune to work with, students and other players who are like, man, it's so cool how you do X, Y, and Z. And I go, that never occurred to me. That's not at all what I'm doing. And if I can't imagine, like, how cool is it that you you figured out how to do it thinking that way, you know? And it's it's sincere. Like, a player needs to find their own language around stuff. And, yeah. and um, I do have empathy because I don't think there's one way to do it. I think, I mean, honestly, I think a lot. there's a lot of suffering in guitar education, mm. especially jazz education, where people have an incredible aptitude for developing as a player and they're just hit with one hurdle after another that makes them feel like well i guess i don't know how to do that and so you know let, let's lower the the bar you know and like you keep you almost trap yourself into this miserable place where you're like yeah i always think of it like it's like climbing jazz mountain it's like people are like well i'm never gonna know the modes i'm never gonna know blip blop and this that and the other and yeah I do find myself in a position a lot just saying, who cares? Like, who cares? What are you good at? What do you want to do, you know? Well, you look like you have more fun than the average jazz musician. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Well, I do. I love it. I love it. It's funny, right? Music, jazz is fun. I remember, you know, Billy Higgins, the master drummer. I think, he, you know, if, if you don't know Billy Higgins by name, you've definitely heard him, you yeah. know, um, to anyone listening. But he had this most the most gorgeous smile he played and he was so effortless and i remember hearing a story about it at a camp he was teaching it and someone said billy you know why are you smiling and he he has his response was something to the effect of because it sounds so good yeah and it's like i always found that to be so hip because you know we are in the business of listening you know and and genuinely like um we're like fans, you know, that's how I felt on stage with you when I sat in with you. And even when I was on the side of stages, I, I felt, so, you know, it was fun to, that, that I got to play. And I, I, I just remember it being a blast, but I also just loved hearing you guys up close. Like that mm -hmm. was almost like a wild psychedelic experience. And, um, and I don't think you have to give that up to then play. And I think sometimes it's either you're listening it can be taught you're either listening openly with all the possibilities in the world or you're shredding and you're dealing and you're freaking out and you're just trying to survive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but you look at the masters and they always have this disposition of, you know, you watch Dexter Gordon play or you watch Herbie play or you watch Wayne or Coltrane or Elvin or Jim Hall. And they, I always think of it as they have a sense of poise, you know, they're receiving and giving and, it, and it's, you can have it all. And I do think it's fun. I think it's a fun thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's also, like like you're talking about climbing Jazz Mountain. I do see so many. <laughs> I mean, I went to, I studied jazz in college and I wanted to be jazz guy so bad. And I, I am whatever, yeah. I am some other form of jazz adjacent, jazz-ish, whatever. But I do remember feeling those exact things and just like, what do you mean I have to learn these 300 standards that I like don't really have a visceral connection with? I think there's some cool yes. stuff about them, but I don't, I don't love this music and I don't, you know, like there's some of it I do love, but I don't love a lot of these. So why do I have to? And then it was just so much, well, you have to do this to do this. And then you have to do this. I was just so overwhelmed with yeah. all these things where I felt like the, the barrier to entry was so high and there was so much gatekeeping and I felt, really overwhelmed but i do i do sense in your demeanor and in your playing it's so high execution high functioning 
high level everything, but there's something very inviting about it. That's so cool. That's cool to hear you say that. I mean, I, I, truly, thank you. Yeah. I, I, I think it is. I, those were the, the people I love growing up and the people I love to this day have, I would describe similarly, you know? I mean, I, 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 I don't know what that's about, you know? I don't know if I'll ever really get why. It's like anything though, brother. I mean, think about it. It's like you have these beautiful high-level disciplines, whether it's, I mean, in the arts or academia, whatever it is. And like anything, you can mess it up. You can fetishize it. You can use it as a means of oppression. You can, you can, you can really mess things up. The one of the saving graces that I I was exposed to early on was that you know I remember, I mean, there's a, one of many, <laughs> one of many. But I remember my dad showing me you know the, on the guitar the very first day he was take he started around the same time I did on the guitar, and my whole family is just has a brilliant creative heartbeat and it ex expresses itself in a lot of ways. And my dad and I shared the guitar specifically um, growing up, but his thing was like, he learned how to improvise at his guitar lessons. And then I remember mm -hmm. him coming home, I got a guitar and he was like, here's a scale, a pentatonic scale. Anything you play in the scale is right. I'm going to play boom, 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 like an A blues yeah. and you just go for it. And I think back on that, man, and it was so progressive because he was right. The reason to learn the scale wasn't to learn the scale. It was so that you had the freedom to utilize it. Mm. It was always about learning something so that you can leverage it for self-expression or communication. And that continued as I would study with other teachers where I'd think, well, you know, you're talking about these barriers that are kind of un unbreachable. I remember studying with Randy Vincent, who was my main teacher as a kid for many, many years, brilliant guitarist and author of many books that are out now that I think are fantastic. But, you know, I, I got, without him saying it, I had this notion that I better learn these songs so that I can have the freedom to play duets with him. Mm. But it wasn't like, go learn the songs because I said so. It was just like, I want to... I want to mitigate any hurdle where I'm the one who can't keep up with this very genuine yeah. encounter. Yeah. You know, and, and it was cool. If from that perspective, it felt, and it feels to this day, kind of endless, the amount of things I could learn that would allow me to be closer to the musicians I love. Yeah. And I witnessed that with you too, watching your band and the, whole, the rhythm section, the horn section. It's like, you've created these environments where you can share a great amount of intimacy musically. Um, but you had to make them, like you had to make these environments sure. so that it could just flow. Um, I think education is just the reverse of that. You have to learn these things so that the freedom can flow. Mm. But they're person-specific, man. You know, like if you and I were to play together, the things that I'm sure I would learn so much, I would need to learn so much and want to learn the things that allow us to be closer. Yeah. Um, and it's a cool metric because it doesn't mean I have to learn things that will make me close to everybody, but just to you. And that can do, that can kind of spin out into other other disciplines of playing too. So I love that. That's a really interesting and cool approach to to thinking about playing with other people and to just think about growing as a musician and also like yeah. if you get a new gig totally the more you the more you make yourself familiar with an entire person's catalog with an entire person's like the stuff that they've done as a side musician you'll probably so you'll probably get a better idea of how to connect with them or what what some of their natural tendencies are or instincts are that sort of thing don't you think i mean Dude, I, I think totally. Like, I think that, I think you're absolutely right. And each gig kind of offers that, you know, it doesn't matter if it's like a high school jazz band or if it's a, 
like a trio gig or Broadway gig. I mean, it's, I think we're all contending with those, those, um, challenges, but to almost look at them as like, uh, like tailored Mm -hmm. experiences. Like I'm going to tailor this expertise to this in a way, to the degree that, you know, I, I know players and, and, and who are very, um, like maniacally history based, you know, like they know, and they can think of a play. They they're gonna play with a player. They know every record. They know every catalog number. They know every you know liner note, and that and that's what gets them off. They love that stuff, you know. And then I know other players who are. I've seen players who just want to know. Let's say they get a gig with someone, they want to know who that person was into. Mm, yeah, you know, like they really take an interest in who their mentors were, or like, like I remember that. Growing what early earlier on when I was playing more with Jim Hall and obviously when he was alive it was amazing and I just was so fascinated with you know Charlie Christian and George Van Epps and all the people who were kind of the older cats when Jim was young as well and just being like wow if you heard that that would probably make you want to do this yeah and you know it's it's all about just lighting your fire you know what I mean and, and then for other people there's probably people who just don't do any of that. And they're happy as a clam and they're playing their butts off. So it's like, whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever works. But I definitely, I, 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 I like that curated educational model. It suits me. I think it suits me well. I love that. I have a question about your general arc and artistry and vision. I've seen yeah. a lot of, listened to a lot of your records, seen you play on a lot of other people's records. I think, yeah. um, I'm sure I have the CDs actually. I still have CDs way up in my bookshelf. Really? Just just in case, right on. just in case, you know, the cloud goes down. There's like a, an old <laughs> CD player in my basement that's just waiting to be used again so if, 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 if need be. But what was that? I think Smart it was, uh, what was the album? Clarity, Sounding Point. Oh, that was, what was that? Uh, sounding Point. Yeah. And yeah, um, Sounding Point. I, World's Fair. That was the one where it's solo yeah. guitar, a little more acoustic, kind of yeah. all over. I remember hearing yeah. you on a Taylor Eichsty album, the song Pink Moon. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember transcribing I remember it thinking like, oh, is this open D or is this dad oh, gad? So funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's so cool that you heard those. Yeah. And yeah. And, and where you're where you're at now with your trio and on a telecaster. Yeah. And also doing stuff on acoustic too. Like, can you tell me yeah. is there an overarching vision? Are you just kind of trying to explore? all the different space yeah. what do you or and and from project to project what, how do you think about your artistry as a whole wow that's a really good question man i've i i you know i i'd be the first to say i, I confess i don't have i don't tend to operate with much of um how would i say it and it's it's not even a self-deprecating way, but I, I I've always, I'll put it this way. I've always admired players who can see the bigger picture of like, okay, here's my complete musicality. This showcases uh this piece of the pie, this showcases another. And and then and these are players, in my opinion, have a really great sense of always keeping an eye on I guess their, you know, their commitments, creative commitments and when one has kind of been in the back seat for a while, they, after a couple of years or whatever, they actively bring it to the forefront. And um, I think a lot of, a lot of people do that. Well, I, I am a bit uh, more short-sighted. Sure. That's all I would say. I would say, you know, sounding point, that first record we made was based on just a premise. Can you make a record 
with a jazz background, but that features basically chamber music yeah. elements. You know, that was the whole, can you do it? Can I do it? Can I write to feature the cello and the saxophone and have a non-traditional drummer? You know, Tupac Montilla who's playing cajon and percussion. And, and then with World's Fair, it was kind of, it was done on a dare, basically from a dear, from two dear <laughs> friends of mine, David Breskin and Chelsea Hanley, who from the Shifting Foundation who, who were helping support me but they basically said, what would scare you? Like, what would what are you terrified of doing um, that we could help support you in doing? And I said, well, I, I terrifies me to sit down with an acoustic guitar and play a set of music. Mm. Like at that time, I never did it. I didn't think I could. I really just felt like, no, guitar, you, I play guitar when other people are playing, <laughs> but I, it's not the main event. So I tried it, you know, and I made a version of that record that wasn't very... I wasn't very happy with it all. And I threw it out and then made it a second time. And that's the one that you heard. Wow. So th they are siloed in a certain way. Um, I do believe in having some sort of uh, thesis though. Like what, what would I be hoping, hoping to achieve with a record that I haven't maybe done before? Yeah. I remember Jeff Tweedy talking, telling me about it once because he was helping me produce something kind of uh, in a, like long distance in a way. I was showing him songs and we were editing them together. It's really such an education for me. And he said, you know, um, you got to make a record that you don't have in your collection already. Mm. That's that's one of the, the I'm paraphrasing, you know. Yeah. And and if I look back at those records that you mentioned and even the things with Taylor, it's like they're all things that I didn't quite have. Um, not to say it hasn't been done before. Sure. That's a different yeah, yeah. thing. Right. It's because yeah, everything has been, but 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 just in the, you know, even a pink moon with Taylor, like here, here's us doing a cover. And I mean, that was like I barely remember that session. I think I came in one night because they were doing it and they're like, can you just add this? And I did it and I tuned it down and I thought, oh, that's cool. I've never done that before and I haven't done it since. Um, I'm very weird about detuning the guitar. It scares me. <laughs> <laughs> it scares me a little bit too. It's like pedals. I don't know. It's, I'm afraid it won't come back up to standard. Uh, but 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 uh, yeah, you know, looking back, you can kind of, I can I can reflect and go, that's cool that those were the things that mattered to me. Yeah. Now, the Telecaster was another one. I was like, I'm committed to the instrument. I love the tradition. Let's see if I can do it. And then I made a bunch of records with the Telecaster just to see if I... I, I and I should clarify, uh, I, it's not intended as like some macho, like, let's see what I can do. Like, throw me that guitar. Let's see what I yeah, can do. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't care about it from that point of view. But but I, I, I do... Um, all those records seem to kind of make me... I don't know if it's better, but I, I finished them feeling clearer. Sure. And like, oh, so that—that's what I—that's really what I was hunting for. And then, how can you um, kind of fold that into the next project? Yeah. Uh, it's hard to look. I think I was telling you that when we were in Norway. We were going for a walk, and I just remember being like, you know, we just finished this record with the trio of Dave King and Jorge Roder and Bill Frizzell. It's kind of a special fourth member of the band. And I love it. We just did a, we just played a week at the Vanguard as a trio and recorded that. And I think that's going to be a lovely album. Wow. And I've been working on this solo record idea for a while. Again, solo electric guitar, but I'm looking, man. I'm, I'm always, I, I don't, I don't quite have the answer, but I'm trying to remain open. You know, I don't know what the next thing looks like. Yeah. I'm, I'm staying open. We brought up two things that I did want to ask about. Obviously the, the, the new record being one, the one with Frizzell, yeah. I listened to it absolutely incredible Thanks, i mean dude. it's just so fun to hear your voice and his voice in it and the role cool. that he plays how he approaches that where he's there and he's adding 
but you are still yeah. kind of out front. And it's maybe not, it, like it's a side of Bill Frizzell that we all know and hear and love. Yes, yes. But it's like, it, it's it's like almost like there's something different being asked of him in the project. Exactly. That's it. You nailed it. You nailed it. That, 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 I mean, totally. Bill, I think it's funny. It's like if Bill is the guy you want to infuse music with, like just a genuine spirit, you know, of freedom and risk and groundedness. I mean, it's like, and, and, and yet I do think there's something to be said for seeing Bill in a pointedly supportive role that it's kind of fun and rare to hear on display. Yeah. Um, at least in the last few years, I mean, he, it's hard to say that because he's he's done so many projects, more than I've heard. I know that in the last decade, you know, he's working with everybody constantly. But um, yeah, I'm putting the record together. It was kind of like that was a conversation. I, I felt shy to ask Bill. I mean, Bill and I played a lot together, a lot of duos, a lot of Zorn projects, Charles Lloyd's band together, like a bunch of stuff. And here I was coming to him basically saying, would you play rhythm guitar? You know, while I'm the main lead voice. Yeah. And I, I felt like, I remember talking to Margaret, my wife, I was just like, I can't do it. I can't ask him. And she's like, <laughs> come on, you, you, you guys are cool. He's not, he, ask him. And we were finally kind of in, in this backstage area at a duo gig. And, and he was, uh, I had asked him to do the record. He had the dates on hold, the whole schmear. And I, he was like, so what? Like, am I still on the record? And Margaret kind of nudged me and I was like, yes, okay, here's the deal. You're very much on the record. In fact, it's all written for you. And I've been too shy to ask you how you feel about being in a rhythm role. And he was like, dude, like, I didn't think we were going to play like all the things you are duo on your record. And like, <laughs> I, like, of course, like, and he's like, I thought like, I've been waiting for someone to ask. He's like, I'm going to bring a J45. I'm going to bring the jazz master. I'm going to bring a baritone telly. I'm going to bring the other telly. Uh, and he kind of, he, you know, we were talking about as a mixture between Keith Jarrett's European quartet or American quartet, as far as interactive jazz band with super melodic joy music yeah. compositions mixed with, um, George Harrison recordings of like many layered guitars, 12 string, like just like this thick kind of stringy world. And Bill was like, I got you. I know exactly what to do. And my God, that's exactly what happened. We rehearsed the night before, played through all the tunes. Next day, he just sat down. And it was important that none of this was overdubbed for us yeah. because we made the record in a sitting in a circle with no headphones and we wanted, you know, we did, the, we, it was a very fast record. I think we did 16 songs in about a day and a half. Wow. Now, everything's more or less the first take. And then, and yeah, and it, it, the bills, I'm sure you heard it, the decisions like you were inferring before, the decisions he makes and when he chooses to kind of push me and when he chooses to kind of slip into the background, um, is it's a masterclass yeah. in how to do it. It's a total masterclass. It's incredible. <laughs> It's so bad. He sounds so good. But the thing, the thing so that's good. also so cool is, and and I love this about guitar players that that play nice together and musicians in general that yeah. play nice together. It's like, sure, it's, you hear just absolute pure Bill Frizzell artistry, and yeah. you hear Julian's thing, absolute pure, yeah. both side by side in a way that's complementing right. each other, and it's not fighting yeah. for anything, and it's not like. It's not one trying to nudge the other out. They're just so complimentary <laughs> right. and the voices work yeah. so well. I just love seeing when guitar cool. players work well together. It's like, of course, 
you know <laughs> it's of course it's like why didn't i think of yeah. that right i mean you you have you have that in spades because you're such a collaborator and you work with people and you never you never sacrifice what makes you a great communicator sure from the instrument i've always taken note of this with you it's never like it's never like yeah okay i can do with 30 percent less of the things i love so that you have room because i i it that weakens the whole soup, yeah. I think, you know. I, I also think there's a notion in jazz traditions, you know, maybe a, I would say a misguided notion, and I should say more specifically with education, but that listening is a form of um, being deferential. Like, no, please, after you. No, 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 after you, please. And there's kind of this politeness, you know. Um, when I listen to Duke Ellington or Monk or Sonny Rollins with any of any of their ensembles, there is a clear sense that the players, my understanding and my projection is that the players are aware of each other, but they're, there's almost at, at times a sense of like needing to ignore each other. Like I'm like, huh. you even listen to kind of blue and, and any miles quintet stuff. It's like the strength of the, the band depends on everyone carving out a very, very, very clear narrative as an improviser. And part of that means that you're going to be doing stuff that isn't, um, you're not, it's not based on committee, the consensus. Mm. It's not like we all like this, right? Like, and who cares if maybe the band doesn't even know where you're going with it. Um, and I think there's a lot of vulnerability in that, which is to me, what I get excited about in music of like, like you're saying players who can play well together without getting swallowed up by each other's thing, but also that risk of like, is it going to work at like, yeah. What's how is this going to end? And and that that that's a thread that a lot of my favorite improvising records gets me hooked every time. I go, how are they going to get out of this one? Yeah, and I think Bill brings out that in every player he plays with. I feel very fortunate that he's a part of our our crew on this one. I just can't believe it, you know. So thanks, Corey. I appreciate you saying all that. It's really nice. Of course. My last question I want to ask: You brought up the Village Vanguard. Yeah shows with the trio which oh my gosh yeah. i wish this it's this is exactly one of those reasons why i'm like man i wish i lived in new york that would have been so fun to see but i right. i have seen the trio several times so i i feel more spoiled yes. than the average person but um as far as playing in a trio yeah and being a guitar player in a trio playing single note lines and comping for yourself yeah it's something where i i've seen some guitar trios where it's guitar bass and drums or whatever some of them i've seen and i think wow this would be amazing if there was just somebody else to kind of comp along or if there was a keyboard or one other instrument yeah. or you know something yeah. and then there's other times where i watch a trio and i think wow this is perfect i don't need anything more your trio being one yeah. of those is there something that you're Thanks. aware of or something that you're thinking about to kind of cover that that mm. space or is the, is it the the role of the rhythm section are they playing in a different way are you approaching things in a different way what can you speak mm, into such that? a cool question yeah that's a great just just even how you articulated that is is kind of um it, it sums up my question too which is like yeah how do you do it <laughs> you know so the first first step is just take an interest in it i guess of like can you um yeah, can you? How do the how do those trios work? Where you don't feel like something's missing, where you don't feel like uh, there's an overly muscular sense of cover up. Yeah, you know that can be a thing where I've I've, I've done that so many times in my life where I listen back to a trio performance and I go, why, why did I think I had to pretend that there was a phantom fourth person? Like the the audience 
is receiving what you give them, you know, they consent to taking it in, you know, and yet as a guitar player in a trio, you can get into a fantasy land that's there's something wrong. There's something missing. And, you know, by golly, I'm going to fill it, you know, which is just kind of like crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the first thing is I, I've caught myself just in, in kind of a delusional state. Say, same thing is very true of um, solo guitar, honestly, where yeah. you're like, I need to imply the band and the bass and the drums. And it's like, uh, no, no, it's actually really rare to just hear one. You and I, you know, anyone who plays guitar and practices, we hear a single guitar constantly in our bedrooms or our studios, you know. But to, I think someone who's not, doesn't live in a house with 30 guitars and is playing all the time, to hear one guitar alone is actually kind of revelatory. It's kind of deep, mm. you know. And I, I keep learning that lesson over and over again. Don't make up for a lack of something because you're the only one who is telling people there's a lack of something. Mm. That's that's the vicious cycle I've always been thinking about. Um, now, as it pertains to the trio, you hit the nail on the head. I, I think my favorite moments with the trio are when all members of the band are leveraging silence and space really well. Because um, there is that thing, and it's almost like a cliche at this point, but like if I play something on the guitar, and then I immediately play something else, and then I immediately generate another idea, though it can give me a sense of like, yeah, I'm really, I'm really contributing over here. This is amazing. <laughs> um, when I zoom out, I realize I, I've omitted the, the part of the, the phrase where, as a listener, I can really like just process it, mm. you know? I can metabolize it and then develop a craving for something else. You know, you know that old thing, how can we miss you if you never leave? I think a lot of trio playing is creating, helping uh, helping the ear forget about the guitar so that when it comes back in, you go, oh, I remember that sound. Yeah. And, you know, and there's different mechanisms, you know, sharing the weight in terms of solos is one thing mm -hmm. where, okay, extended bass solo, go for it. They, they've heard enough guitar. Who, forget they, I've heard enough guitar yeah. for a minute. <laughs> I want to break. <laughs> and, then, and then there's other things where... Um, more, more technically, I think about a lot, and I think Sonny Rollins live at the Village Vanguard is one of the greatest examples of this, where he would punctuate phrases in such a way where there's a certain degree of instability. And what I mean by that is like, if you're playing phrases and soloing in a band, forget about comping for yourself. That's almost a different topic, which we, we can touch on very briefly, but but I just mean, if you play a phrase and you go, if I keep landing in such a... Um, maybe an obvious way, it doesn't really leave any cliffhangers. Mm. Um, and so I am definitely looking for ways to truncate uh, momentum where possible so that the ear can fill in the rest or so that the bass or drums can fill in the rest. You know, it's not a TED Talk. It's not like I have a punchline and thank you, everybody, good night. It's, it's a bunch of unstable events. Mm. And I think instability is really, really critical in a jazz band. You need a lot of things that don't quite finish, but hopefully give all the momentum, but don't quite finish, but hopefully give all, you know what I mean? And then you get this drive. Um, uh, sometimes I think drive or that kind of like forward momentum is attributed to orchestration, like you say, like play a line, comp for yourself, play a line, comp for yourself. I think polyphony and chords, I keep noticing that that's a great playing polyphony is less about filling a void and more about showing um the the frequent the connection between the low end of the guitar mid to low end of the guitar and the upper range of the bass 
In other words, the guitar is very far away from the bass, you know, especially if I play high up on the E string and B string, all that stuff. There's this big void. Uh, when you listen to Jim Hall with Ron Carter, for example, he would solo extensively, <clears throat> all on the low E, A, and D strings. Mm -hmm. And what it would do, it would make the bass and the guitar sound so much closer, and he'd use chords down there. And frankly, it just makes it, makes it so you don't have to generate as many lines. Mm. Because you're just you're just almost like hugging the frequency range. You're hugging it. You're touching it. You're showing the ear that look, we're basically one big string thing. Cool. And then when a the moment arises, you would hear Jim burst out with a line or figure. But then he would kind of come back. It's really deep. So I think that's the play of dr dramatic elements that I'm thinking about more. How do you get momentum? And how do you marry the frequencies? Mm. And if you do it with double stops, cool. And if you do a single lines, cool. And most importantly, you're no, nothing's wrong. <laughs> that it's no, it shouldn't be a quartet. You know, yeah. it shouldn't be any bigger than it is. And uh, God, I was thinking. To be honest, I thought about this so much, dude, at the Vanguard. I was thinking about this, and I'm sorry to ramble. I'll keep it very brief. No, it's not, it's, this <laughs> but is I, good. I, I, I just was thinking about. It. I was watching the band play, and I was playing myself, and I just thought, isn't it true that like if I'm not, if I don't accept whatever happens. And I have some grudge, you know, and I'm playing and I missed the thing that I meant for. And I go, ah, that will, you know, it, it's, it's a missed opportunity to make friends with myself, mm. you know, and it's a missed opportunity to say like, I'm, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm okay with the guy who just blew that or ended up on a different path. Um, and I started thinking that way and I was watching Jorge play and I kind of was like, he seems like he's accepting himself, Dave. King, one of the greatest improvising forces of nature we've ever known, yeah. has such a deep well of acceptance. What happens is okay. And it's more than okay. It's the baddest thing you've ever heard. And I'm not talking about this um, robust, like beating your chest kind of confidence. I just mean like sincerely, yeah. like it's a miracle when stuff happens. And it softened me a little bit. I was really, I was grateful because I was so stressed out. I was so nervous. I was so like, oh, don't blow it, Lodge. Here you are, you know, <laughs> making a live. And then I just said, I'm cool with this guy. I got to take, I got to drive him home. I better be nice to him. You know? <laughs> I got, I got <laughs> and I think that's the beauty of playing every night is you kind of have the, the privilege to learn that. Yeah. And, um, anyway, that's my thought about trio guitar playing. <laughs> I love that. That, that makes so much sense in both. <laughs> the mindset, the artist brain, and also in the technical side, like just like, yeah, it's, play closer frequencies. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Let's get it together. <laughs> Let's get it together. <laughs> oh, I could talk to you all day. I thanks for give, thanks for even being interested in that. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, man, thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute treat to have you on the podcast. Thanks, dude. Have loved the time that we've had to spend together, and I hope we get more chances to play together and hang together. Likewise, man. You're fantastic. And just keep spreading the gospel, man. We Really, really. Thanks for being so uh, accepting and encouraging to it. So we we got to do that for each other. So Yes, man. Thanks, Corey. I love it. Well, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Of course. I'll talk to you later, huh? Keep in touch. Yeah. Peace. Bye. There you have it. Julian Lodge, one of the coolest dudes. Just, I, I'm gonna, I've been trying this, since I did this interview, I've been trying this pinky thing where I anchor a lot of my playing on the pinky. And it definitely forces me to play in a different way. 
Whether it's more ergonomic for me to do it like that or not, I'm still trying to figure out. But it does force me to think about my playing in a different way, and that's worth it enough because I find myself playing lines a little bit differently than I would thinking about ending or starting phrases differently than I normally do. So it's really cool. If you're not hip to Julian Lodge, well, I hope you are now, and I hope you go absorb all of his music and see him on tour. This new album that he's got is, honestly, it's incredible. And I... I'm not just going to sit here and say this. Like some people, I'm just, well, no. I'm going to tell you the truth every time if I like somebody's music or not. Julian's, it's dope. So check it out. Thanks for hanging with us. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.